This is Talk is Sheep, a podcast by the Wild Sheep Society of British Columbia. Come along as we take conversations that matter to you into the high alpine. Mr. Hamilton. Mr. Stelter. All right. So episode 45, this is a heart-wrenching one. Uh, many of you may be familiar with uh, the disappearance of a uh, hunter in the Spitsisi Park back in uh, 2005. A gentleman by the name of Tom Leonard was in the backcountry. He was on a 21-day solo sheep hunt. Unbelievable. Like, I can't imagine. It scares me to think of a night alone in the mountains, let alone 21 yeah. days. Yeah, And um, it's just phenomenal that uh, somebody spent that amount of time or was planning that amount of time. Unfortunately, Tom was due back home in October. Um, I think it was October 2nd. He was due back to his house and he didn't show. Uh, right away, his wife, Tammy, reached out uh, to the authorities and uh, they located his truck right away. It was where it was supposed to be. Um, and I'm not going to spo- spoil the story, but uh, Tom never came home and they still haven't found uh, any remains, anything. So uh, on this podcast, episode 45, we sit down with um, Tammy Leonard, which is Tom's wife. And we also sit down with Joey Prevost. And Joey is a Wild Sheep Society BC member. Um, very, very uh, great guy, hardcore sheep hunter. And he's also a member of Terrorist Search and Rescue. Uh, Joey stumbled across... Tom's plea, uh, well, Tammy's plea regarding Tom and wanted to do some more. And uh, so Terrace Search and Rescue uh, bought into this wholesale and um, their goal was to bring back answers about where Tom was, why he never came home. Uh, They had some clues to go off of. Uh, We talk about all in this episode, um, but uh, just a heart wrenching, um, you know, story. Uh, Tammy does share the story. She does an amazing job of holding it together. I can't imagine the emotional trauma that she's suffered these last 15 years. Um, and uh, very interesting listen. Um, just a, a shout out to Wild Sheep Society BC members in our sheep hunting community. Uh, Wild Sheep, our board of directors, we, we said we'll put $500 towards the search and rescue uh, helicopter time. And we asked our members to match. I think we got 1,800 in donations. So uh, check uh, for $2,300 went to Terra Search and Rescue to pay for their helicopter time, um, getting back into the mountains in the search for Tom. So they did the search this year. Um, you're going to hear what what's the outcome of that search and uh, sort of where we're headed uh, down the road. So just a huge shout out to the Wild Sheep Society BC members uh, and just the sheep hunting community for stepping up on this. Um, if you do want to support, uh, they were short on funds. Uh, we individual search and rescue members from Terrace put their own funds in to do this. So any amount helps. So if you're interested, just reach out to uh, our executive assistant, Mike Survey, uh, exec at wildsheepsociety.com if you're interested in making a donation. Um, but just thank you to all those who have already stepped up. And uh, I'm not going to give away the results, but uh, this isn't the end of the uh Tom Leonard's story, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's very rare that I stay silent on a podcast, but I don't think I said a single word during that interview just cause I was just it, watching and hearing Tammy. It was just, what, what can you say that's going to add comfort, add value other than just to sit back and take it in. And it was just, it was heart wrenching hearing what mm-hmm. she's gone through and what she's still going through. So yeah, I, incredibly strong incredibly strong and uh i'm sure the listeners will hear the emotion in her voice but we got to see it uh live on on the the screen here and i think that added a another level of emotion to it that i i wasn't expecting it was just a wow moment and as somebody who just came back 
three days ago from the mountains of and, and hearing how quick things can turn right and I, I know what it was like. I was reaching out to you when we were having issues. Okay, well, I've, I'm keeping contact with somebody, but to go back 15, 16 years when didn't have that uh, sort of outreach and all you were doing was signing it at a trailhead and telling somebody, if I'm not back in 21 days, then start looking. And mm-hmm. yeah, so here we are. Yeah, yeah, heart-wrenching story. I, I'm with you, man. It was There was times where I just didn't even know where to go and just, um, yeah. you know, incredibly brave uh, woman to you know, to tell her story and to share Tom's, you know, mess message, I guess, and, and they'll keep up the hope looking for him. And then also to terror search and rescue for carrying yeah. the torch now that they're, you know, they're so committed to, to making this happen and to, to bring back that, you know, that last chapter so that this, there can be some closure for the family. So. Oh, completely, completely. So yeah, I, I don't even know what to add to that other than. Wow. Across Canada and throughout the world. If you come across a campfire in the woods, on a mountaintop, or next to a river, you'll find warm company and friendly people gathered around. Regardless of your lifestyle or place you call home, we invite you to learn more about what it means to be a hunter in the modern era. If you love the outdoors, care about where your food comes from, and are concerned for the future of wildlife and the environments that they need to survive, pull up a seat. We have a story to tell. Welcome to our campfire. All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Tammy, Joey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on today. I'm really excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited as well. So we're looking forward to uh, getting the story out there and seeing what we can put together for uh, 2022. Absolutely. So let's just set the stage. Um, Tammy, you're, are you at work? You're at home? Where are you talking to us from? And I guess where are you living right now is, is uh, I guess, the first question, really. I'm talking to you from my home in Quinnell right now. Okay, awesome. And is that your family home? Is that where you've been for years or have you moved in the in the last few years? I've only moved, I think it's about eight years ago I moved and I'm still in Quinnell, but I just moved from one side of the town to the other side. Okay, cool. And Joey, obviously you're coming to us from Terrace there um, and uh, you're taking some time off work. So thanks for coming on the show uh, with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. So just to set the stage, um, a number of our listeners and uh, Wild Sheep Society BC members are familiar with um, a, a missing hunter that um, you know we mounted a, a support for a search and rescue. Um, Tammy, um, I first learned about this from a, a basically a video that was shared that your daughter had um, completed um, about the, the the missing hiker, the missing hunter being your husband, Tom. So um, do you mind just kind of... Uh, you know, let's go back to kind of, the, you know, the backstory on, on Tom and, and how long this has been going on and kind of um, let our listeners know the story of, of how this evolved and um, and maybe just dive a little bit into the personal side of Tom and who he was and that sort of stuff. But let's just start off with kind of the, I guess, the overarching story of, of who, why, where, how and what. All right. So start off on the sheep hunt he went on or should I start off who he was? Yeah, sure. Let's just talk about, um, you know, really why we're here today about, I guess, Tom's disappearance and how that happened. So let's start off with sheep hunt. You know, obviously we know Tom was a hunter. Let's tell that story a little bit about uh, his trip. Okay, sure. So in 2005, Tom had applied for a limited entry for a sheep hunt at Speciesy, and he was lucky enough to be awarded it. It was a, dr- a dream hunt that he's been wanting to do for many, many years. Uh, the minute he received that limited entry announcement, he started training and started researching and started thinking about what he was going to pack and um, started collecting maps. Uh, back in 2005, a lot of the stuff wasn't available online like it is today. So he did a lot of research with maps on the floor and, and things like that. He um, called... BC Parks. He tried to get a hold of the people that was the outfitters in the park. He talked, tried to find out who else had went hunting there. He just really, really researched exactly what he wanted to do and had decided on a 21-day hunt. Uh, the hunt was going to be split into two. It was He was going to enter and do a 10-day hunt and then loop back around to his truck and 
in his truck, he was going to leave 10 days worth of food. And he was either going to go back into Spetsuzi and maybe try another area, or he was going to go elsewhere on his last 10 days. And all of this, I had, I knew he had everything wrote down, times, dates, and, and what he was to be doing. So September 10th, he left Quinell for the long drive up and he stayed a night at Totoka. And um, the next morning, September 11th, he signed in at the Eagle Nest Trailhead and left his truck. Uh, in the back of his truck, he had a quad for a possible second hunt. And, he did, and his 10 days of food, he left there. And he did sign that, that trailhead book and went in. And um, October 2nd, he was supposed to be back in Quinell uh, to be going back to work for October 3rd. And that did not happen. Wow. Um that's uh, that's incredible. I can't even imagine. Um, so let, can we can we just dive a little bit into, uh, I guess, Tom's background? So um, obviously he's a diehard hunter. Um, this was this is a really really intense trip. Twenty one days in the bush with ten people is is daunting. Uh, doing a ten day twenty one day solo trip is is incredible. I can't can't even imagine. So was this typical for Tom? Like was he? Was it normal for him to do a solo hunt or was he comfortable like that? Obviously, he had to be a, a level of comfort in the bush. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so he did lots of hunting uh, with friends, um, with family, and a lot of it was alone. Uh, nothing to this extent, nothing to the 21 day, but definitely a 10 day, a five day hunt alone, he, he would do. It wasn't that he chose all the time to hunt alone. It's just sometimes it's hard to find somebody compatible with you that hunts like you do and wants to or doesn't back out at the last minute. And um, so he just kind of, he just started doing it on on his own, just started hunting alone. Uh, always very, very organized. And I always knew where he was. I always knew when he was going to be back. Um, he he was so comfortable with the outdoors. It's just, he was born that way. He just had a connection um, to being in the outdoors and that's what he loved. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. And 21 days is, is phenomenal. There's very few people that could pull that kind of time off. Right. So obviously if you're going to go for 21 days, you're probably going to go on your own unless you've got two groups of people you're going to go with. Cause uh, yeah, it's a long time. So um, just to sort of, frame the experience, Tom's experience, um, obviously a hunter, but was he, um, experienced in sort of these more challenging mountain environments? Was he a sheep hunter? Had he hunted sheep before? And was that something he'd be comfortable in or was, uh, is that, would you say that was a stretch this trip? Obviously the length of time was significant, but would you say he was kind of out of his element being in Spitsisi or not necessarily? Uh. That's a hard one for a wife to say because I did not hunt with him to know if he was out of his element or not. Um, he, I believe this was his only sheep hunt. Um, he had a mountain goat uh, that he had hunted and um, other hunts similar to that. But I am only aware of this being his only first sheep hunt. Well, and if you're hunting mountain goat, uh, let's be honest, that's probably more difficult and technical than a sheep hunt. So yeah, it's pr he's probably a level of comfort was fine. So really what he was doing there, aside from the duration, this is something that he'd be comfortable doing. It kind of wasn't like he'd gone in ill-prepared. There was no doubt that when Tom went in, he was ready for the elements. Um, and, you know, he was he was basically prepared for what he was undertaking and he knew what he was undertaking as well, I guess. Yes, he was. He was not a inexperienced hunter, not not at all. Cool. So now, Tammy, um, and this this might be difficult to talk about, but are you able to share kind of your experiences after October second? So October second, Tom doesn't show up. Are you able to talk to the? Are you comfortable talking about that, or or would you rather not talk about the personal side and and kind of you know what you guys went through on as a family in in not hearing back in that aspect of it? Uh, no, I'm comfortable talking about it if my story can help 
anybody else that's uh, a bonus. So yes, I'm totally comfortable talking about it. Um, I, it's hard to put into words what you go through when something like that happens. Um, the RCMP, when I first contacted them, tried to, you know, it's okay. His truck probably just broke down. You know, no worries. We'll locate it. So the first day, that's kind of what you're you're going on. Um, although I told him where his truck should be, and sure enough, that's where his truck was. So then it was, can you please get into that truck and let me know if there's 10 days worth of food? And so big hopes was that there wasn't 10 days worth of food in there. Um, a day later after they get, because of course I'm dealing with Dees Lake and they have to go to the Eagle Nest Trailhead, so there's a time delay. So another day passes and I get the call that, yes, there is 10 days worth of food in there. And at that time is when the RCMP agreed that they had a missing hunter on their hands. And that 10 days, that was a deal breaker for me because something happened to them in the first 10. And I didn't know for many days after. Yeah. So, yeah, so that that that's that's a, a hard one. I would have loved for that food to have been missing, um, yeah. but it wasn't. So, can you talk a little bit as the progression? So you've gone through this experience. You've found out about Tom. You've contacted the RCMP. You've kind of waited this process out, and then you you're you're starting to learn that no, he he is missing. Um, what was the timelines like then? Like, where did you go from now? We're late in the season. We're in the middle of October now. So obviously weather is becoming a factor and snow is starting to come on the ground. There's all these things. So, um, kind of what, what, I guess, where did we go from a search and rescue component? Um, did the RCMP start searching? How did that happen? Where, where did we go from there? So yeah, on October 5th, when the, or October 4th, when the food was located, um, a search and rescue from Smithers was, was told that there was a missing hunter on hand. So they had started the progress. And so on the 5th was when boots hit the ground and started searching for Tom. It, you're right. It was late in the season. Um, they dealt with snow. Uh, it was, it was tough going and October 8th is, uh, four days later, they they had to call it off. It was it was just too dangerous. So on that note, um, so Tom had a plan with you. He had a safety plan. He told you where he was going. Um, he, he'd articulated when he was going to be back. All these different things. Um, now, with regards to that, um, did you did you have an idea where he was going to be? He you know he talked about a circular route back to the truck. Did you know where that route was, or did you have any information on where he was headed once he got back into the Spitzeezy area? Unfortunately, no. The map that he had uh, planned his route with, he had with him. Um, I did hear him talk about a loop. I don't know what that involved. I don't know what that loop was. However, even if we had have known that, you guys are all hunters. You have a plan. You head in somewhere. You start glassing, and that plan changes. Right, you could you 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 could go somewhere else. You you could, and in today's world, you can do that. You you can use your little inReach or whatever, and let your family know that you've changed your plan. But then that we didn't have that technology, and so when Tom went, he told me where he was going and and approximately what he would be doing. But I know plans can change. Yeah, absolutely. So the eighth, they called off the search. Now, was this just a ground search? You said boots on the ground. Was there any aerial aspect to it, or was it all boots on the ground stuff? Uh, there was some uh, local airplanes had went up, um, some of the local helicopters as well. And the RCMP infrared helicopter had come, I, I believe, for one or two of those days. Uh, so, yes, there was air. There was boots on the ground. Um, there was locals. There, there was... It, it, it was big for the four days that I had, but the weather just wasn't in my favor. Well, and that's the thing too. You think, okay, he's doing a 10 day hunt. He's, he can be five days away from camp before he's coming back. And they were searching for four. So they never even got as far as he could have 
gone. And, and of course, you, you know, no, not knowing which direction he went anyway. So um, you just know that such a, um, a insignificant search in the grand scheme of things, considering the area. Um, okay. So then moving forward after the eighth, you've, you found the search being called off. I, I can appreciate that must've been very heavy on your heart to learn that and a very difficult time. Um, can, can you kind of talk about you know, sort of the next few months for you and your family, what that looked like and, and, you know, I, I guess what you guys went through emotionally as a family. Um, a lot of going through your days where you're just not really there. You're just, for me, I had two little girls I had to be strong for. Um, the littlest one, she was seven. She just told me she just kept thinking her dad was at work and then he would just come home. Um, the nine-year-old, she struggled a little bit more. Um, there happened to be right at that time a teacher strike. So the girls didn't have to go to school. They were able to stay home, which was good. They were surrounded by family. Um, it was just tough. I Thanksgiving was right in that time frame. I asked them if they wanted to celebrate it and they said no that they weren't there was nothing to be thankful for at that time uh, it was just it's really hard like they I had no answers for them right so the little one that's sitting there thinking he's just going to come home because I can't tell her where he is and why he's not coming home it just it, it tears you apart it just tears um, for myself I just watched the weather for Species every day to see as soon as we could get back in there. How so? Just every day, I would bring up the weather and when can we get back in? And um, family and friends started to plan a voluntary search for June of the following year. So that kept me busy, and I didn't have a lot of input um, because I don't have that knowledge to plan a search. Um, but I, I did a lot of listening. Um, I knew who was going and what they were doing. I wanted everybody to be safe. It was a long time for that June to come. <laughs> Very long time. Yeah. So June rolls around and so back into the bush and sort of what was the outcome of that? And 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 I guess, was that in a really, emo like obviously you had the emotion of dealing with every day up to that point, but now, now June of 06 is here people are rolling out in the bush. How, what were you going through then? Was there a lot of anxiety, apprehension, uh, sadness, happiness, or hope? Kind of what, how, how, what were you feeling at that point, Tammy? A lot of hope. I, right. so much hope. I was so hoping this was going to be it. There was many different groups and many different areas. So we were trying to cover many spots of the park. Um, there, you know, there was people that knew what they were doing. I mean, we had those first responders and we had the guide outfitters and um, we had hunters and we just, but it's such a big area and, and not knowing where or when something happened, even if we knew there, that something happened in the first three days, well, we know he entered at the trailhead. So where can you go from there in three days? But 21, 21 days, what? Well, I guess 10 because he didn't come back for his food. So it just such a big, big park. But I still, I held hope that this, there was something that was going to be found. So that, that, how long did that land search go for? How long were they, they on the ground looking for, uh, for Tom in I, that case? I believe about five days. It was scheduled for seven, but I think it only lasted about five. Okay. So there was that effort, and then moving forward, there's been several over the years. Can you kind of just give us a rundown, like chronologically, of the ones that you can recall of what's – because I know there's been a bit of a um, – yeah, the, I guess for fear of uh, retribution here, it's been a bit of a debacle, some of the search and rescue. There's been there's been efforts, and then they've, you know, they've come apart because of a number of reasons. Um, you know, so can you talk a little bit about a number of the one, the ones over the years? So from 05 or 06, there was that ground search. Did you guys do anything else that year or did you guys run out of time that year in 06? Uh, no, in 2006, that was, um, that was for me, that was what we had done was that 31 people going in and volunteering to search. The RCMP had, had promised me a um, recovery mission. 
Um, and so they were supposed to go in with a helicopter for about five days is what I was told um, when the search and rescue had called off back in 2005. However, they, they did go in um, or they did fly over, uh, but just for one day and nothing was located as well. Um, my dad, as Tom had lost his father in a car accident when he was about 13. So I met Tom when I was about 17. So my um, dad was kind of quite a father figure for Tom. And so this was very, very hard on him as well, seeing his daughter going through this and then losing like a son. So he is the one that's been so involved. So 2006, he was there. 2007, he went back. 2008, he went back. Just constantly going back. <laughs> um, but again, I, I mean, he's he's 80 now, so he, he cannot do this anymore. But he, he would fly in. He, somebody would tell him something of an area to check. And he would fly, get the helicopter to bring him in. And Somebody would go with them and they would check that area and just nothing, nothing. And I don't know what to do. I didn't know what to do after 2005 and the search was called off. That was kind of it. No one said, hey, Tammy, this is this is what you need to do. You need to call search and rescue again. Or you, you know, I always thought it was just the RCMP. I need I need to stay in contact with the RCMP. I honestly, I did not know what to do. I, I was just in the dark as well. So your your dad was involved in this for a number of years. And then, uh, and every year we do see stuff on social media about, you know, keep an eye out for Tom Leonard missing. At the time I didn't, I, but every year I remember seeing it, right? People, yes. you know, kind of reminding us and, and you've done a good job of keeping that alive. So now we've seen this, the last couple of years there's been an effort to go in as well, from my understanding, um, like I know you said, your dad's been do had been doing stuff in the past, but these last few years has been a bit more of a rejuvenated effort. We'll talk about the terrorist search and rescue stuff that we did this year, or that was done this year, not that we did, but terrorists did this year. But was there an effort the last couple of years to try and go in and a, a bit of a search? I, I understand there was a couple of efforts, but they fell short. Something happened. There was a last year. There was a road washout and some other stuff. Can you talk a little bit about the last few years? Yeah, so 2013, there was a hunter that was in the Spetsuzi area, and he had stumbled upon an old camp, um, and he didn't, he said he may have knew that Tom was missing, but this, you know, when he was out hunting, this camp didn't really, he didn't relate the two, he just, he just didn't, um, and so as you said, uh, every year, I start putting stuff out on social media to remind people, if you go into Spetsuzi, please, please, please keep your eyes open, and uh, I just happened to someone happened to share my post and this hunter saw it and he thought, whoa, maybe, maybe this has something to do with um, Tom. So he reached out to who posted my post, but however, it never did get back to me. Um, and again, every year I, I post again and again, that hunter's seen it. And it, that was in, in 2019, he saw it and he reached out to me personally this time. And the minute I spoke with him, I picked up the phone and phoned Deez Lake and said, hey, I might actually finally have a lead. Um, again, too late in the season. Um, so they had said it's too late. The weather's already turned, but for sure we'll look at it. And in 2020, um, but COVID had hit and the road was washed out. I believe it was washed out in 2019. And I was told that when, when they had said it was too late in the year. And then 2020, the COVID had hit, so there was no helicopter available for me. And I was told that maybe 2021. So from 2019 to 2020 to 2021, I gained contact them in May and said, there's a short window that you can get into this area. Let's start thinking about it now, get that helicopter ordered. And uh, in June, I was told that... Um, I wasn't going to get the helicopter again, but they had reached out to BC Parks, so maybe the BC Parks could do a walkabout and and check this area out for us. Um, so at the end of July, I still hadn't heard anything. So I called Deez Lake again and found out that BC Parks, due to staffing shortage, wasn't able to go, and that again, maybe 2022. And that 
crushed us. And that is why my daughter, who is now 25, just, it just broke us. It just really broke us. So she did this video instead of my little pleas on all the social media areas that I could think of. She did a YouTube video and she just stated the facts, stated what we were going through and can please anybody like this. We need help. Can anybody help us? And that's when a lot of people like yourself, Cena and Joey and Fred and, and when search and rescue did reach out to us from terrorists and said that, Hey, we think we might want to help that, that just brought us to our knees like that. Those words were very impactful. Wow. Um, heavy stuff, Tammy. I can't even appreciate, uh, appreciate the, uh, the emotional trauma that you guys have experienced as a family. Um, if, uh, what I'd like to do now is maybe we'll talk to Joey a little bit about kind of this, this rescue mission, uh, or this recovery mission and what it looked like this year. Um, and then we'll, we'll maybe touch more on some stuff about Tom in a little bit, uh, Tammy, but, uh, Joey, I, I guess my understanding is that you heard about this on social media too. You, you seen, I think the video, um, and it was just this year you learned about it. You, this was new, new for you as well. Is that correct? Yeah, that's, uh, that's correct. I, um, I had decided uh, at the beginning of uh, 2021 that I was going to embark on a on a 10 day solo sheep hunt, and uh, as I was training for it, you know, throughout the year, I felt really mentally prepared, physically prepared, uh, and several days before I took off, um, which would have been around July the 27th, uh, a couple of my friends just gave me that, that check in saying, are you sure you want to do this? Like, like, don't you, don't you remember, uh, you know, the fellow that went missing in Spatsizi a long time ago. And, uh, that was the first I've ever heard of, you know, Tom Leonard and, you know, Tammy's story. And it didn't really hit home for me, uh, until I got back from my solo hunt. So, I returned back on August the 8th and uh, I've been leading a fitness program with our, uh, with our team and I train, I train the team uh, on Wednesdays. So I just returned back from the solo sheep hunts. I think it was Wednesday, the 11th of August, right after, right after training, Fred pulled a couple of us aside and said like, Hey, you need to check this out. I think we need to do something. And that's when we watched uh, Tammy's daughter's uh, video that was posted on YouTube. And, you know, I think just coming off of that solo sheep hunt, you know, I have two young daughters uh, myself and wow, it just, it struck me. And, uh, you know, we decided right then and there that no matter what we were going to do, it was going to involve going into the Spatsizi and very quickly because we know what the weather gets like up there. Uh, the end of August going into September, that's already too late. Like, you know, you're already risking snow at that point. So we acted very quickly. I can't tell you the roadblocks that we dealt with. And, you know, I really understand why over the last couple of years that Tammy and her family was often hearing next year, next year, next year. And the way things were shaping up for us, it was looking like we were going to have to say next year. Uh, and it got to the point where, the eight of us that went in had decided that even if we have to spend our personal money, we're going in. And we made that commitment. We made that commitment to Tammy. And uh, August the 21st is when we flew two teams in. Uh, we had left uh, Terrace at uh, two o'clock in the morning. And we flew out of Isket, out of the old abandoned airstrip at uh, 7.30 in the morning. And uh, I think our first boots were on the ground ground at about 8.15. And uh, we set up our camps and, and we commenced the search. And uh, the country is rugged terrain. Like it is difficult, difficult terrain. Um, I, can, I can appreciate and understand how flying over with a helicopter had no success because you you're not going to find anything that way unless unless you're gonna you know it'd be like winning the lottery it's it's not going to happen it's it's thick it's hard country it's craggy country it's steep it's going to take boots on the ground to find something okay so i just want to 
touch on this this hunter that in 2013 he found the abandoned camp and you guys didn't connect till 19 Tammy can you talk about what he shared with you and then I want to see how that translates to on the ground to Joey so what did what what was shared with you in 2019 from this hunter that had found the abandoned camp back in 13 six years prior he said he stumbled upon a tent that had been collapsed and it was a brown tent and um, that there was a white t-shirt there and possibly a pair of jeans and something blue. I, I don't know if he knew what the blue thing was. Uh, all that I heard was brown tent and that, that just excited me. Like this, this is a lead for me. It's a brown tent. Okay. Um, so then, so that picture, Joey, that you just held up, was that actually a picture of Tom's tent? It was. Yeah. It was. Okay. So now, Joey, you, you, you were armed with that information. Now, did that hunter come in with you guys on that mission? Absolutely. Um, as soon as, uh, soon as we started, uh, you know, getting all the information and kind of building, the, building off of the cold case here, um, I had reached out to the hunter. And, um, you know, had a really good conversation with him and he's really connected with, uh, Tammy's family over the last uh, several years. He was at the point where he himself and his cousin, I believe were going to go in and just take some time off of work and just go and do this. And, you know, I'm like, Whoa, you're, you're willing to go in. Um, okay. Like, are you, if we can, if we can make this happen, would you be willing to come in and do the search with us? And I didn't even finish my sentence. And he said, absolutely. You just tell me the day and the time and I'll be there. Um, and that was rewarding for us because, you know, if you have somebody willing to take that time, you kind of eliminate that, you know, that, that, that reasonable doubt factor of things, right? Like, is this good evidence? Is this, you know, is this positive? And the minute that he said he was willing to come in, you know, it kind of hit home, you know, for us that, yeah, this is, this, this, this is a go. Like this is, you know, this is no longer, you know, old information or a cold case. This is something that, that, that is, is very relevant and we need to get on. And uh, yeah, the hunter, the hunter drove up uh, the day before, um, you know, we introduced him to the team. We had a lot of video sessions uh, and pre-planning meetings throughout the week prior to. Uh, he ended up staying at my house, and prior to prior to flying in, uh, he had about a ninety-five percent certainty that he was going to put us on that tent. Unfortunately, when we flew in, I think all of those years, and you know, again how devastatingly large that that terrain is i think that our chance of detection went from 95 percent to probably 10 to 15 percent like uh you know i think our team really felt we knew what we were walking into uh but we just didn't expect the undergrowth and and the terrain that that uh that we were going to see i mean i've sheep hunted many years and that is probably some of the toughest terrain that i've hiked in Wow. So now he had this, he had this, uh, expectation of certainty. Now I'm guessing he obviously hiked in off the highway. Um, or did he fly into Spitsisi or uh, how did that sort of come about? Cause you know, it's one thing to just get dropped at a spot and then, you know, think that that's the spot, but it's another thing to actually, you know, backtrack your, your steps and the trail you took and that sort of thing. So, uh, how did he, how was he in there in 2013? Yeah, it's an interesting story. He uh, it was his first sheep hunt in 2013, and he was with um, uh, a couple of uh, in laws um, at the time, and uh, they went in with uh, with horses, and uh, they had camped at the uh, Eagle Nest uh, trailhead, and that evening they have uh, they had seen some uh, some sheep on the adjacent uh, mountain. And decided that they were going to go for them the next day. And they went up, they went up the drainage uh, just north there and uh, tied up the horses and, and made a play on those sheep. Um, they weren't successful that day. And uh, they came down off of the mountain back towards their horses. 
And that's when Travis stumbled upon the, uh, the tent. And again, you know, like we, we know what it's like. And I think Tammy, you know, you were very accurate in saying that, you know, you might be aware that there's a missing person there, but relating them at the same time and trying to get off of the heat of the moment of chasing sheep that, you know, that's, that could be difficult. Right. And, uh, and that's why it's important to really let the story be known, you know, so hopefully, hopefully something like that wouldn't, wouldn't happen again in the future. Um, but the interesting part about this whole story is that the family did not use any electronics and they didn't have any mapping, uh, no GPS, uh, because that's one of the first things I asked is, you know, like if you had found something, you know, why, why, why didn't you mark that on your GPS? So at least we had coordinates or, you know, we had something to go off of or, you know, try and put a mark on a map. And, uh, yeah. And then the hunter informed us that, uh, you know, I, I don't use maps. I don't really believe in the technology and, uh, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing, uh, for us, you know, growing up. Okay. So he, he stumbled across the, the camp, the, the abandoned camp or what he thought was an abandoned camp. And then was it just a, a note? Hey, there's, there's an old tent and there's some jeans and just carried on. And that was kind of the end of it. And never, never, of course he reached out to t- tried to reach out to Tammy in 13. We know that, but, uh, but was there, there was nothing else. I guess he just didn't really realize the impact of it and carried on. That was the extent of it. Hey. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, like I had, I had asked him if he had like investigated around the area, picked up the tent or anything. And he said it was very brief, you know, um, darkness was coming and we needed to get back to the horses and going down the trail, they had slightly separated. So the family member that he was hiking out with at the time was off, uh, of, off of a different line by maybe about a hundred meter spread to my understanding. So, you know, they, they had separated a little bit and then the goal was to meet up at the horses. So, you know, I think there was a little bit of worry of not spending too much time kind of around that site and just get into the horses as, as darkness was approaching. Yeah. You can see how it could happen for sure. Especially if he wasn't pre, uh, pre-warned of, you know, the scenario or, or not really looking for somebody. So, okay. So then, so you guys fly in on the 21st, you land at 815. Um, what, what did that day look like? How long were you guys there for? What did that day look like? There was eight of you guys. So what did, what transpired after you landed at 815 on the ground there? The first thing we did is uh, we were already broken up into teams of two and that was for, for camping quarters. So, you know, we all took in our personal backcountry gear um, of the eight members that went in, three are seasoned sheep hunters. A couple are, are, are you know, extremely trained in the backcountry. Uh, we brought in a couple of our tracking experts. We brought in one of our drone pilots. You know, we had put together a really elite team for this mission. Uh, we set up our we set up our camps, and then um, Fred uh, Fred was our overall team lead, and uh, we started uh, we started doing a grid search. Um, the nice thing, you know, with the technology that we have available versus 2005 is we're no longer drawing lines on a map and, and highlighting them based on what we think we did. Every single team member, including the hunter, uh, that we brought in, uh, was tracking every single step of, of each search day. So we searched until I want to say 630 that night pretty much to the point of exhaustion where we, you know, everybody was, you know, mentally and physically, we were toast. And, uh, you know, we went back to the camp that night, you know, we really talked about, um, talked about the area. Uh, one of the things that we always do and what we've learned to do in, in search and rescue is to have a debrief every day. And just to make sure that everybody's, it's just to do a check-in, right? So just make sure everybody's mentally, physically, you know, doing well. We're all prepared. We know what the tasks are looking like for the next day. And, you know, it gives us a chance to talk about communications. You know, did we do, did we do things effectively that day? What did we like? What, what didn't we like? And, um, you know, we, we, we knew the probability was, was diminishing, um, our probability of detection for what we swept that day, we had felt was upwards of 55 to 90%. So what that means is of the area that we swept due to undergrowth or, or anything like that, um, you know, we had a 55 to 85, 90% chance of, of seeing something. Uh, 
which is really high probability uh, when you get up above like that 60 to, to 70% range. Um, but as a sheep hunter, search and rescue aside, majority of the area that I covered that day, I would never set up a camp. And I was thinking that for most of the day. And the hunter kept saying, you know, he was very particular in where he remembered that tent as he walked out. It was just kind of like outside of like that, you know, of the base like swamp line, just getting into the young immature trees and underneath a pine tree. And that makes sense in that territory because that would be a dry section. It would be flat and, you know, there might be some water nearby. So that day, I tell you, every single pine tree, uh, wow. I mean, we swept it and we got excited every time we got into a, to a row of pines. And um, yeah, it was, it was difficult not finding the tent that day because, you know, again, you know, I think we were so pumped up that, you know, of that 95% certainty of finding that tent and then to come up empty handed that day, it, it was difficult. It was really difficult. Uh, we debriefed, we debriefed around the, the fire that night and uh, we got to the hunter. Uh, he was last to go. And I think that even though we weren't successful in finding the tent, one of the things that we really had to reflect on was that bringing him in with us and giving him this opportunity um, was a win because, you know, I, watching, watching him around the fire, talk about it and releasing some emotions. I don't think a lot of people, you know, understood what he was carrying for the last couple of years. And I don't know necessarily if he did as well until he was on the grounds. And, um, there was a lot of emotions that went through that man that night. Uh, a lot of them, I feel that he was able to release and leave on the mountain because he's definitely been carrying, you know, a heavy heart for the last couple of years, knowing, knowing that he likely had found Tom Leonard's tent and didn't put the two together. Hmm. Okay. Um, so that was, so that was the 22nd, the night of the 22nd. Did you guys leave that night or did you fly out the next morning? Or was that the end of your search the day two or? Uh, no, we, uh, we flew out on the 23rd. Um, our pickup time was going to be between 10 to noon. And we had make, made a group decision that we were going to get up at five o'clock that morning, uh, pound out some breakfast and, uh, and search again. And, and that's exactly what we did. So we searched right up until about 10 minutes before our pickup time was, uh, uh, was coming in. Okay. So uh, now let's talk about the search itself. So obviously the hunters found this, uh, the tent in 13. Now here we are eight years later. Um, what's the probability that there's, you know, remains of the tent, like something where you're going to physically see that. Is there a high probability of that? Or is there a good chance a lot of that's deteriorated over the last eight years? Um, did you guys talk about that, Joey? We did talk about that. Yeah. We talked about that even, even going into the search that uh, I would say upwards of a 90 to 95, 95% probability that uh, something is going to be there. Um, you know, at this point, 16 years later, you know, being realistic, it's not likely that we're going to find pieces of, of, you know, Tom Leonard's body, uh, any, any skeletal remains or, or things like that. Like there, there's a chance, but it's not likely, but finding things like Tom's pack, his, his rifle, his boots, his tent, any items like that, uh, you know, those are very, very probable high upwards in the nineties, if not more. And I mean, even the tent, the tent is a heavy nylon, you know, fabric that that's going to take, you know, eons to deteriorate. Right. Okay. So you guys fly out on the 23rd. Um, Tammy, can you talk a little bit about your feelings around this? So obviously Joey reached out to you and, um, you know, and, and was planning this, um, and, and Terra search and rescue as well emotionally, how was this for you? And how did you feel toward when they returned with basically empty handed again? Can you talk a little bit about sort of how you, you felt and, and maybe even your daughters talk a little bit about what you guys were going through as a family during this experience? Um, 
when they told us they were going, like I said, it, it, it brought me to my knees in gratefulness um, to actually receive texts of their planning was, oh my gosh, this is really happening. Um, then to hear that Travis was going, it's just, oh my gosh, this is amazing. That This is just amazing. Um, when they went in, I've went through searches before, so I kind of put on this steel armor and and just waited out. Um, I think what hurt the most when I found out that nothing was found and that and it was time for them to come out was hearing about how this has impacted um, Travis himself, and that that was hard for us. Um, we didn't want that for him. Um, but I, I hope he's doing okay now. Um, the girls, Miranda's really strong. Um, she's worries about me a lot. Uh, the youngest one, Shamara, she, she's like her dad. She just kind of, she's quiet. Um, she deals with a lot of her stuff inside. Um, but both girls are, uh, so thankful for all the help that we've gotten over the years. Um, all the people who reach out to us often throughout the year when they do hear this story. Um, it's, it's taught us a lot of gratefulness and, and uh, strength. Like we won't give up. This is ongoing for us until we know what happened. So like Joey said, we, we, we know that we're not bringing remains home. Um, this eats, eats us. And it's not that we don't know where Tom is. We know where he is. We know he's resting upon the beautiful mountains in Spetsuzi. We, we know that. It's what happened. What, what was that last chapter? What was that journey that took him away? What, what happened? It's, you just can't close a book and not know the ending. Like we, we, we need that. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine Tammy. Um, so Joey, let's, let's talk about next steps. I know, I know for you, this is not a closed chapter that, that this wasn't a one and done. Um, I know the, the sheep hunting community rallied around this, uh, wild sheep society, BC, we asked, uh, well, our board of directors approved to support you guys financially, uh, to pay for helicopter time. And then we did a outreach to members and, and hunters in the hunting community. And I think there was, uh, a total of $2,300 in donations that were made towards this initiative. Uh, I know that that wasn't, didn't cover all the costs. So, um, I guess the short answer is, um, did you guys, were you guys out of pocket? Was there a shortfall there that you guys did to support this? And then also what's next, what's ahead for the search for Tom Leonard? What's, what's coming up in 22 that we can do to support, um, this, this important thing that we're doing? Yeah, for sure. I can, I can answer all those questions, but, um, you know, first I just, Tammy, you know, over, I think over the last, you know, couple of months of you getting to know us, uh, I think, uh, you know, and, and, you know, when you and your family drove up uh, on the long weekend to see us, I think you got a really, you got to see a taste of who we are and what we do. And you know, our commitment, if it's year after year after year, we are going to go in there until we find something. And you, I know you know that. And uh, this is something that is near to dear to many of us. And I don't care what it's going to take and what kind of red tape we have to go through, but we're going to continue to go in until we can get some closure and, and write that final chapter. Hmm. But uh, Kyle, yeah, we, were we out of pocket? Absolutely. We were, we were out of pocket. I mean, helicopter expenses alone, and we minimized as much as we could. Like we, we, like I said, we drove from Terrace at two in the morning. Um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to run a car dealership. So we're, we're, we're able to use some resources that way. Uh, you know, we, we did have some financial backing from my business partner, um, you know, just in case we really kind of, you know, exceeded 
any obligations that we couldn't cover, um, you know, through terror search and rescue. Uh, you know, many of us donated personally uh, because we believed in this so much. So, uh, yeah, we were out of pocket, um, but, uh, you know, Tammy was kind enough to kind of see what was kind of happening for us. And uh, Tammy had started a GoFundMe page uh, and had raised a uh, little over $8,000. And then with the contribution, um, Kyle, that, um, you know, the members of the Wild Sheep Society of BC and your guys' executive team, you know, that put us uh, to almost cover the helicopter costs. I mean, we minimized everything we can, but we have to be realistic and, you know, share with everybody that, you know, that was really four, four and a half hours of helicopter time to put two teams in from Isket um, to the set location. And it was just under $11,000. Hmm. Yeah. It's um, logistically, it's a very difficult place to get to. Hmm. Yeah. So being in there and looking at it from a search and rescue standpoint and looking at it from the, you know, the, the sheep side, um, you know, I, I, I wish I didn't have to say to Tammy next year because Tammy's been here in next year since 2005. And, you know, it breaks my heart to, to look at you, Tammy right now and say next year. Um, and that's from Dave and from Fred. We're, we're saddened to say that, but we need to be realistic that if we go in this year, we're going to use up some resources and some funding, and we're just not going to be able to put together an effective search. Because of the snow, we know what's happening. Um, it's just getting too late in the season to be effective. So what our goal is, is June of 2022, um, we're going to go in. And I'm not going to take no for an, for an answer, but we're going to try to bring in 30 to 60 people. The majority of that being members of the terror search and rescue team, hopefully upwards of 20 to 30. And the remaining members being from a coalition of groups that are willing to volunteer, put some funding in and try to write this final chapter for you, Tammy. Um, we're hoping to get BC Parks on board. Wild Sheep Society of BC, obviously. And, and I mean, you know, let's face it, any one of us who go out sheep hunting could, could deal with this. And I mean, this year alone, our team has uh, had five calls for sheep hunters that have either been in an emergent situation or hit the SOS button on their spot or inreach device. Uh, that's this year already. And the season still has some time left. So, uh, I mean, if there's any team to go into region six in the Northwest, that's going to be our team. So, you know, anybody who's an avid sheep hunter, you know, anybody who's a member of the wild sheep society of BC, you know, every, every little bit's going to, going to help. Um, and then uh, we're going to work with the local um, uh, tall tan groups. Um, I've had the privilege of working with them for most of my pro professional career since uh, 2002 and uh, the more that I get to talk to, you know, some of the leaders in Esket, uh, they're really surprised that they were never resourced on the initial search. Uh, you know, that's, that's the territory that they're familiar in. Um, many of them have some local cabins nearby, so we're, we're definitely going to reach out to them for a resource and get some, some of the tall town elders and get some boots on the ground with them. And they are so thrilled to be able to help and support. Um, we're going to reach out to the Guide Outfitters Association of BC, um, see what we might be able to pull for resources there. Uh, and, uh, and again, maybe hone in with BC Parks or the Wildfire Services of BC to see what kind of helicopter time we might be able to pull at, uh, at a certain period, um, you know, just to try and keep these costs down. Um, twisting the RCMP's uh, rubber, a rubber arm. I mean, like you said, they've promised you for quite some time, some helicopter time. And, you know, other than 2005, it sounds like, you know, maybe we can leverage some support there. So uh, the next step for us is uh, to reach out to these different associations and organizations and create a subcommittee so we can put in some big planning and start early 
So that way in June, whatever our dates are going to be in June, that uh, we're ready. We have the resources, we have the human power, and we have enough support to get these boots on the ground to really look at the area. We know with certainty where Tom's last known point is. We know that now with all of the research and all the information that we have. And we know that the only search other than the one that we did last year, uh, or sorry, this year, um, had never covered any of that area other than a helicopter flyover. And again, we've shared, you're, you're not going to be successful doing that. So boots on the ground and knowing that the hunter had found the tent, you know, that will give us Tom's last camping spot as a sheep hunter we know what a daily loop looks like. That's really gonna that's really gonna minimize the amount of you know kilometers in space of where we're looking for Tom. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So your timelines, you're thinking June of 22 is is potentially when um, you'd be looking at going back in. Is that is that kind of the the best time of year? Or like I know, obviously, you went in in August of this year, but is there a, a is there a better time than not to go into Spitzeasy? I would I would say you know like I I had talked to um uh, you know the main representative for BC Parks up there and and uh, she had felt that June would be the best time. Uh, you know May in some spots you still might be dealing with a little bit of snow. Uh, we're the beginning of June, you know, you're in good shape, uh, you know, terrain wise, you're, you, you know, there, the, the, um, I would say the growth isn't crazy big at that time. It's kind of, it's kind of that happy medium. Uh, but one of the other things that we don't want to do either is we don't, we don't really want to go in there, um, in August again, because we don't want to also, you know, maybe, um, affect any of the hunters that are in there. Uh, it is a, it is a well-known sheep hunting, uh, location and, you know, the guide outfitter that's in the area was kind enough to pull out of that area for our search because they had intended to be hunting that spot. Um, you know, so just, just knowing that, you know, June you, you, weather-wise is a great month to do it. We have long days, you know, you've got a good weather, weather window there and we're not going to affect, uh, you know, any hunters or, or any outfitters that are in that area. Okay. Sounds good. So this is kind of a, a joint question for Tammy and Joy. What, what are we looking at for, what can we do? What can, what can just your average human being do? Um, how can we support? What, what can we do to, to sort of share the message um, and, and next steps for trying to find Tom? What do we, what, what can we do? Well, um, as far as the society goes, uh, you know, um, Kyle, I'm really hoping that we can get uh, one to two um, of your executives on our subcommittee um, to be a part of the planning stage and, uh, you know, maybe answer some questions around fundraising and what we'll need to do on a financial level. You know, depending depending on resources and what we might be able to get from the RCMP, BC Parks or, you know, the wildfire services, you know, to put 30 to 60 members on grounds, yeah, we're probably talking 60 to $70,000 to pull that off. Um, it, it's going to be a substantial amount. But, um, you know, the way that I look at it is what's the lesser of the two evils? Do we keep going in, you know, with limited success year after year at eleven to $12,000? Or do we put a huge group effort together of people who care and people who want to help find Tom Leonard and write this final chapter, spend the money, put the resources in, and actually make this happen? And if we have that amount of people and boots on the ground, our probability is going to go insanely through the roof. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you, um, we will do what we can to support for sure. Uh, without question, Joey as an organization. And uh, I know that our uh, board of directors is very, uh, uh, feels very strongly about this and, and for sure. Uh, absolutely. We'd love to be part of that solution and, and try and do what we can to support you guys. Um, Tammy, is there any kind of last words that you'd like to share before we kind of wrap up here or anything you'd like to, to talk about that we haven't discussed so far today? Um, no, I, I, we've covered, we've covered 
off um, the story. And I'm very thankful that you allowed this opportunity for, for me to, ex to explain the story. Um, and just a huge thank you to everybody. Like I said, over the years, it sounds like when I talk about it, I've been forgotten, but I received so many emails from, from hunters that have heard and will, t will let me know if they're going into Spetsies and even let me know if they don't go, just so I know that, that they were thinking of us. And that's, that's um, amazing, really amazing. Um, I, I can't thank you enough, Tammy, for taking the time today. I, I can't even begin to appreciate how probably challenging this is to talk about it and just to share where you're coming from and what your family's gone through. And, and I hope that in some small way that uh, the society and our members can support you guys and, and help you write that final chapter and, and have some closure. And I just want to thank you for your time and effort and, and, and sharing your story with us today. And, and also, and then on top of that, Joey as well, uh, everything that you're doing to, to shepherd this and, and your leadership on this, on this very issue too. So uh, I want to thank you both. And um, I, I hope we can uh, in 20, I hope 22 is the year that you can, you can close that final chapter and, and have some closure. So. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Cal. Have a great day.